Welcome to episode 10 of Beyond the Show, the only podcast that brings you the educational experience of Cannabis Conference. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of Cannabis Conference and Cannabis Business Times. In this series, we're here to highlight the world-class operators who will be speaking at the event next week. It's August 24th to the 26th in Las Vegas, and this episode is coming out on August 20th. If you're tuning in with just a few days to spare, you can learn more about the show at CannabisConference.com. And stay tuned for future episodes. We're going to keep this series running, you guessed it, beyond the show. This week, we're speaking with Mojave Richmond, Director of Horticulture and Research at Cannabis IP company Breeders Best. In the early 1990s, Mojave settled in the Netherlands and began breeding cannabis for specific therapeutic properties. He developed the award-winning strain Sage, which served as a springboard for creating many notable cultivars. Fast forward to 2015, and Mojave co-founded Bioagronomics Group with ethnobotanist and author Robert C. Clark. You can read many of their columns that they co-wrote for Cannabis Business Times over at CannabisBusinessTimes.com. Mojave continues to breed and develop critically acclaimed cultivars, offering a suite of specific therapeutic attributes without compromising agronomic viability. Mojave's vision for the future, combined with his valuable experience, present unique perspectives for the cannabis business sector. At Cannabis Conference, he will be speaking on the panel, If Not Potency, Then What? Cultivating for a Nuanced Chemical Profile. We talked about that and much more, so please enjoy my conversation with Mojave Richmond. Mojave, thanks for joining us on the podcast here. Of course, we're looking forward to having you out in Vegas very soon here, and we are talking about potency and a just the sort of open question of a nuanced and balanced chemical profile. So this should be a pretty fantastic panel discussion, and we can get into we can get the, the conversation started here. I did want to begin with uh, one of our favorite compounds, of course, THC, which um, particularly Delta 9 THC, which is sort of at the center of this conversation. You know, for so long, it's been the driving factor for consumer purchase decision-making, as well as, uh, you know, on the, on the commercial side, uh, driving cultivation decisions. Um, here we are in the summer of 2021, and I wondered if maybe we could begin this conversation with sort of an overview of, I guess, the state of THC in cannabis products and whether or not it's still king, so to speak. Yeah, well, well, thanks for having me, Eric. I'm always uh, happy to, to join you for a conversation and very much looking forward to the uh, conference coming up. Um, yeah, I mean, THC has been the focus for a long time for, for cannabis consumers and breeders, and it's, it's the way that uh, the dominant way to market cannabis these days is based off of THC content. And um, it, it's understandable, you know, that in a, in a highly taxed commodity like cannabis that people would want to get the most bang for their buck. Um, the challenge is, is it doesn't work that way. You know, that if it was as simple as um, the THC content, then you know, a consumer could 
consume 10% more of the same product and have the same effect as a variety, for instance, or a product that has 10% more THC. But we know it's, it's far more complicated than that. And I guess that, that brings us to the whole you know, discussion around what is potency in cannabis um, and what is the desired effect of the consumer. Um, you know, unfortunately, the consumer is not as informed as they should be or could be in order to make the correct decisions, in order to kind of stimulate the supply chain to change this conversation. Um, but THC is, is king right now, you know, and, and the way we hear people talking about, you know, cannabis in terms of retail sales it's a numbers game. It's how potent it is, how potent is the product and what does it cost? That drives the decision-making of the consumer more than anything. Um, and that's understandable, you know, from their perspective. But, you know, what it really gets down to is we as, a, as, a, as an industry don't even really understand what potency is because we're still just getting to understand what is in cannabis what various compounds are impacting the effect, um, what the difference is between different varieties of cannabis, um, different cultivars, different formulations. And, um, and on top of that, we're, we're constantly adding new cannabinoids to the list. Um, you know, obviously CBD has had a huge impact on the cannabis market um, in in the US and internationally for that matter. Um, and that is, is about as, as uh, far away from THC content as you can get. I mean, when you think about the farm bill cannabis, you know, we, we've mandated low THC and, and that has become the driving force behind creating a CBD market. So when, when, we, when we think about what is THC and how does it impact the effect and how should a consumer, what, what consumers should know about what THC levels are in, in a product, it's about as difficult as it gets. I mean, ethanol in alcohol is, alcoholic beverages is very easy to quantify. You know, you see if it's a 5% beer versus a 7.5% beer, it's, it's just as simple as, as that. There's some very fine nuances around different compounds in alcohol, but that's another discussion. Um, but with, with cannabis, it, uh, the, the other constituents, the aromatic compounds, specifically the terpenes, and now other aromatics that we're now talking about, thankfully, the thiols and esters and, and um, flavonoids and all these other compounds, they're also shaping the overall effect. And um, how much so is, is challenging because of just the vast um, amount of products available on the market and specifically a vast amount of cultivars that are being used to create those products. So it, it's hard to, to simply say um, high myrcene varieties make you sleepy and high terpenoline varieties make, are energetic. Um, it's far more nuanced than that. So the one thing that people have kind of held on to in terms of what is going to drive the effect is the THC content. Um, but that's a shame because 
I feel that that consumers are missing out. And not only that is, you know, uh, um, product manufacturers and breeders and the entire supply chain is missing out on connecting a particular product with the consumer and meeting and, and addressing whatever the, uh, you know, specifically for, for, for medicinal cannabis, you know, some people are coming in seeking a very specific effect from the product that they're trying to, that they're consuming because they're trying to address a, a specific condition that they have. And now that we're looking at all the minor, cannab uh, minor cannabinoids like CBG and THCV, um, in addition to CBD, uh, you know, it, it really, it kind of cripples the supply chain when uh, a consumer is looking, for instance, maybe for a, um, a THCV product that, that um, has a particular effect like um, appetite suppression, for instance, which is, you know, what a lot of people associate THCV with. And there's not a lot of products on the market because no one wants to produce low THC varieties. So, you know, it, it just leaves the consumer without the ability to use their vote in the supply chain and, and consumers vote with their dollars. And, you know, we have to give them the opportunity to say, hey, I want this 10% THC product because it also has a considerable amount of CBD or THCV or CBG or CBDV or all these other compounds that have um, incredible, um, incredible effects that address specific needs of the consumer. So it's, it's a kind of a catch 22 where we're stuck in between, we're in this pickle where we're stuck in between, you know, the, you know, what is available so that the consumer can vote and giving the consumer that vote with their dollar. And I do believe that if they had that choice, if you had the opportunity to sit with different varieties with very specific chemical compounds or attributes, that the consumer would choose particular rights, similar to wine and beer and other, you know, I, I hate to use alcohol as the constant analogy, but it does parallel in many ways that people will, will pay a lot for low ethanol content if the variety or if the, if the, if for instance, the, the type of wine speaks to them, if they like Pinot Noir, they will pay more for a Pinot Noir um, regardless of the ethanol content, but they had to experience it first. So I think that's the big challenge is giving them the opportunity to experience it so that they can, can shape the supply chain with their, with their um, selections. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting uh, catch-22. I think that's a really spot-on phrase here. Um, and so setting aside the demand part of the scale for a minute and zooming in on, on supply or even more specifically just the breeding and maybe even the R&D that goes into this fairly complicated conversation, um, what are some of the things that maybe you're working on uh, that might deal with terpene profiles or even minor cannabinoids or flavonoids um, things that, that you're interested in um, studying that, that may be helpful uh, in a more commercial landscape on, on shelves? Yeah, well, um, actually, it's, it's really interesting. We're actually working with a, um, a, a tribal group um, that is implementing their own um, cannabis ordinance right now. And 
they're, the reason that they're doing this is to address their community's specific medical needs. So it's a unique opportunity to actually, and also just because of the way they're dispensing and the way that they're structuring their community outreach, we're really looking at um, cannabis as a whole. And THC, I mean, it, it, it you know, I'm sure that, that um, it'll still be a driving force in, in what varieties are cultivated and offered. But the real issue is, is um, what medicinal needs they have. So that's when we really get into terpenes um, to begin with, because that's what we know the most about. I mean, I do believe that there's a lot of other um, unquantifiable um, uh, uh, variables in what is an overall effect. But right now we know a good amount about cannabinoids and terpenes. So we're shaping their, um, their portfolio uh, varieties based off of what they specifically need. And that means, you know, hypertension and, and, um, and opioid addiction is a, is a critical one. And, um, you know, all the other health concerns that cannabis can address. So it's kind of like, this is a unique opportunity because we're starting from scratch. So it gives us a chance to really say, look, the, we, we put high value in this particular variety because it meets the needs of this segment of your population. And in doing so, I mean, just that's, that's how pharmaceutical drugs work. <laughs> you know, they, they, you know, they put in the R and D, they put in the time to create the product, but the value in the product has to do with what conditions it addresses. You know, if it saves lives, there's incredible, uh, an incredible value there. So um, that's something that we've been working on um, recently, and I'm, I'm really excited about that because, uh, you know, we have a, a large body of information to draw from. Cannabis is being heavily researched all around the world, um, but we don't have that opportunity to kind of stop this moving train, um, which is the modern cannabis um, market, in order to kind of make a pause and say, well, what do we want cannabis to do for society? Um, you know, it's society doesn't always make the right decisions in terms of, you know, their own personal health <laughs> and what kind of products they, dis, they, they choose. So we, we really need to be proactive. And, and I mean this as, an, as the, the cannabis industry itself. We need to be proactive to make sure that we're setting um, the right course because, you um, you know, the last thing we'd want to do is develop a bunch of varieties that then become the uh, champions of the people, and those don't really meet their needs. I mean, if you look back at food, it takes a long, it took a long time for um, consumers to convince companies to produce uh, organic or vegan or gluten-free or low salt or any of these options that are now commonplace at, you know, every, every grocery store. And because of that, you know, the only reason that they're commonplace is because we showed them with our voting dollars that there was a lot of value in these other products. So we need to, we need to start, we need to start seeding that process now by moving away from THC potency specifically. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm picking up on a lot of uh, themes that have appeared in, in the columns that you've written with uh, Rob Clark over the years and 
uh, can certainly add a few links to uh, the episode page when this episode goes live, uh, because this is something that you've written about a lot. Uh, again, with Rob Clark, the, the word biodiversity comes to mind and just, you know, sort of taking a macro look at the cannabis plant and its place alongside a, a legal commercial marketplace. And so maybe just sort of elaborating on, on this line that we're going into here, um, you know, what, what can or should breeders and growers be doing to ensure that we're having a plurality of, uh, of chemical profiles out there? You know, maybe, um, and maybe, I don't know if there's a particular cannabinoid or terpene that might be a good example here where uh, it would be really helpful to increase its presence in certain genetic lines that it, it, it's at a very small level right now. Um, I don't know if there's a particular example that might be helpful here with that question. Yeah, well, well, very specifically, I mean, uh, well, well, just just to back up a little bit, we got to think that about agriculture, that diversity in the genome is really important because it gives you the, f the flexibility to select for different um, chemotypes, different chemical compounds and different um, morphology and all that stuff, all that fun stuff. Um, but the marketplace for most products, I mean, the, the marketplace for most um, species in the, in, the, uh, in the agricultural economy is pretty slim. So that, when, you know, there's, there's thousands of different apple varieties and there's thousands of different rice varieties or, you know, I might be exaggerating, but there's a lot. And, um, but when you walk into the market, into a supermarket, there's usually only a few. So at some point, the industry kind of lands on what they think the consumer wants. And, and that's understandable just because of the challenges of, of um, building a supply chain. So we're not there yet with cannabis because there's, we're still exploring the landscape. And it's exciting for consumers to walk in and find, you know, the strain du jour. What's the new thing? But... Um, but what we've, what, what we've seen is that there are certain varieties that become popular for whatever reasons. It could be social media. It could be that, you know, your best friend said they like it, or it could be an amazing variety. And those varieties tend to dominate the landscape and they kind of push out other varieties. And more often than not, they tend to be chemically similar um, in that they're often high THC, high myrcene varieties, where myrcene is the dominant terpene. And by coupling those two compounds together, you have a, you know, a similar effect. Obviously, there's a lot of other nuances like we discussed, but when that's your main focus, you're limiting the diversity to the consumer. And that's happened so many times in agriculture. I mean, there's, there's kind of, there's one variety of banana that everyone consumes, even though there's many delicious banana varieties, but the market selected the Cavendish banana because of its resistance and its shipability or whatever, you know, and the same has happened with a lot of different agricultural commodities. So we don't want that to happen with cannabis. So we need to create, if we are going to limit the um, selection of cultivars that's available or that, you know, that farmers are going to work with, we need to make sure that they're diverse, that they meet the needs of the consumer. And one specific, one specific compound that we have, we've all kind of know well at this point is CBD. 
And adding a little bit of CBD to your THC varieties um, kind of expands in a big way the consumer base. There's a lot of people who want cannabis in their lives but don't want to get too high or don't want to lose control or don't want to, you know, have, they have these fears associated with high THC, um, understandably. So, you know, just that alone, these type two plants, a type two plant being kind of a balanced THC CBD um, ratio, they have an incredible value. And type three plants, which are, you know, predominantly CBD, also have an incredible value. Not to devalue what THC has to offer. That's, that's, that's been established. We all know and love THC. But when you think about what um, the, the, the nascent user who wants to experience cannabis and might have a very serious condition that they're trying to address, um, if, the, if the, the retail outlets don't have varieties that are higher, for instance, a type three variety that's higher in CBD than THC to choose from, then they might get turned off from cannabis. So, you know, I, I really do believe in that, that there is a cannabis variety for everyone, or at least a cannabis product for everyone, whether it's, um, you know, it might be just be um, oil, seed oil, you know, hemp oil, which is high in, in omega-3 and omega-6 and omega-9. It's a great product. Everyone should be consuming hemp oil. And it might just be um, CBD for people who want, um, don't want a psychoactive effect and don't want to get high. But there's a balance in between there. And I think that if we, you know, if, if we were to look at this plant chemically and look at the consumer as individuals and put them all into separate lanes, we could pick five or 10 varieties or five or 10 chemovars that really addressed everyone's needs. But if the pop, top five varieties out there all are so similar in composition, then we're just not doing that. And, uh, you know, I, I understand that, that um, it's, there's challenges. I mean, for instance, in, in, in California, the, the, you know, the, the hemp production that's going on for CBD, none of those products can enter the medical or recreational cannabis market unless they're grown through a licensed um, cultivation. So, so there's all this CBD that's readily available for very cheap. The commodity price on CBD has become very low, but it can't even enter the market. So, so, you know, so, so, uh, so dispensaries can't sell that product. And if they could, they could be offering, you know, formulations with blended CBD that was very, you know, cheap and offering it to consumers at a, at a, at a great price, right side by side with all these other, you know, um, cultivars that are higher in THC. But right now they're not allowed to do that. So it kind of creates this challenge. Um, once again, it all comes back to consumer education and consumer awareness, because the consumer decides. I mean, there are people who will spend an astronomical amount of money on just about anything. So getting to that point where they can make that decision, and especially for your, your, your physical health and your well-being and your state of mind. You know, cannabis 
we're, we're, um, we're shaping the way people feel throughout their day, most of their days. So being able to offer someone a different compound in the mix is, is I think that's going to be critical to our, our personal health and well-being, but also to really figuring out what the cannabis supply chain should look like. And that's why this kind of um, federal legalization, descheduling, all of that is so critical because we've, we've, we've created two markets, you know, with the, with farm bill hemp and with medical and recreational cannabis. And that's a shame because I think they're the same consumer, you know, maybe the, maybe the consumer who turns to CBD and Delta aid and is a little bit cautious of THC, or maybe they just don't have access. Um, But there's no, they are the same consumer, you know, we're, People need cannabis in their lives, whether it's, you know, like I said, whether it's just simple seed oil or whether it's, you know, the more powerful compounds. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I, I keep thinking of the phrase lock-in where you have consumer preferences that are at least temporarily in the short term locking in certain uh, you know, chemical profiles. And then you have regulatory lock-in that is sending the same plant down different regulatory paths. And it's, it's certainly a frustrating uh, situation that, that isn't the easiest thing to, to unravel. Um, for, for growers who are on that um, you know, state-licensed cannabis side of the equation, though, let's say they want to um, experiment with uh, either higher CBD varieties, maybe a type 3, or even uh, trying to increase levels of, of certain terpenes or even uh, lower-level minor cannabinoids like CBG. Um, what's the or what are the challenges there? And, and I, the reason I ask this is, you know, we do a lot of features at Cannabis Business Times on increasing yield and, and increasing profit margins. And a lot of that does come back to, to THC for all the reasons that you mentioned. But for growers and breeders who are trying to increase those levels of, of the much smaller constituents, like individual terpenes, what are the challenges there that they may need to overcome? Um, well, the, the main one is... Uh, being able to uh, offtake their their product, um, you know, it's it's a shame, but you know, the the concept of purchasing on the point, based off the percentage points of whatever desired compound, that is that that is completely ingrained in the farm bill hemp world. Um, you pay by the percentage, and it is very much ingrained in. Um, you know, the, the wholesale THC world as well. They literally pay you based off of the potency. There's certain benchmarks that you must hit in order to get a certain price point. So it's really challenging for the breeder specifically who, who has developed a variety that they know has incredible value in order to sell that flower. You know, I, I work with um, the group um, Breeders Best and we're a cannabis IP company and we work with breeders to help them establish IP on their varieties and then try to bring those varieties to the market and help commercialize them and find cultivators and, and develop the, um, the market for them. But it's challenging because, you know, for one, you're, you're, each state is an island. So you have to work within the regulatory boundaries of that state. But also, you know, if, it, you, it's, it goes, goes back to consumer awareness that if you yield a variety that, if you grow a variety that yields only 10% THC, 
you have to convince the consumer that the value is in the other compound. So, so let's take THCV variety for THC for THCV, for instance, you know, I think people would pay for an appetite suppressant that also made them feel really good and got them high just a little or, or you know, enough. I think that that's a huge value and, and CBD, the same thing, people, you know, especially during the pandemic, you know, people have really been seeking things to help ease their anxiety. And high THC varieties often do the opposite, you know, so, so tapping into people's desires um, and then creating a value based off of that is really what needs to be done. And I, I don't think there's a shortage of amazing um, cannabis varieties with um, interesting minor cannabinoid and terpene profiles. I really don't. I've seen quite a few of them and we've worked, we work with a number of breeders and we're, we're in the process of doing that very thing. Um, and I, I do think that this is going to change. I think the discussion we're having right now is going on nationwide and worldwide. Um, that we're, we're, people are all understanding, you know, especially if you've consumed enough cannabis, you know that the THC number is not the end all. I mean, we, we all know that some varieties will really have a, a massive effect, very potent varieties with considerably lower THC, and some really high THC varieties are just kind of blah. Um, it's a, you know, I, I, we work, we consult internationally. That's a, a big part of our focus at Bioergonomics Group. And I was really kind of sad to hear one of our international uh, groups that we're working with in a fully regulated um, federally backed system, they're now marketing and selling their material based solely off of the THC percentage. And that's a shame, but you know, they're, they're a year or so behind us. So we here in the U S we have a really mature market. We've got informed consumers or as, as formed as they, they are. And we've got amazing breeders. We've got great cultivators. We're really poised right here in the U S right now to shape the direction for cannabis globally. You know, we've been doing that for decades and moving away from the THC discussion is critical. And, you know, pre before analytics, nobody knew, nobody knew which varieties had what, what the potency was. We just, I mean, we knew they were potent based off of our preference and our experience, but it wasn't until the lab started giving us the feedback that we started, you know, seeing, Oh, this is a higher potency variety. But us breeders and cultivators over the years, we've always known that that doesn't really mean a lot. There are 22% THC varieties that are stronger than 32% varieties. There's 15% THC varieties that are st stronger than 25% THC varieties. It's in the whole, it's in the, you know, the, the collective of all of the constituents that makes the effect. So, you know, we're, we, we really got to make an effort. And I, I think I really do. Like, I, like I mentioned, I think that this conversation is happening all over and that there's going to be plenty of groups that are going to try to um, market their products based off of minor cannabinoids, terpene profiles, delivery systems, all of that. Um, we just have to, you know, it, it's kind of not our fault you know, in a way because the consumer and the, the, the breeders and the cultivators have been figuring this out as they go along. You know, we don't have the decades and decades of research behind the plant to kind of form our opinions. 
you know, I, we, we, we've written, um, Rob and I a number of times have written um, drawing comparisons with hops um, um, and cannabis. And there's a huge body of information around hops in all of its um, constituents, but there's very little on cannabis. And, um, you know, with hops, it doesn't make a big difference. It's mostly about flavor and aroma, where with cannabis, it is the difference. So we just got to play some catch up. We got to learn more about what's in the plant. We've got to learn more about the consumer themselves, what's in their bodies, you know, because the, uh, the consumer brings a lot to the table. You know, the set and setting aspect of how we consume cannabis brings a lot to the table in terms of the effect. So the, the consumer's own predisposition to um, reacting to a particular compound, that, that is critical. And we need to do a lot. So it's a lot of education. And, but we also need kind of, you know, I've always felt we need to have a little bit more of a collective effort as an industry. You know, we don't have, I mean, we have great groups like the NCIA and, you know, we've, we've all been working towards this goal, but, but we don't have the councils the way that other commodities do, the Dairy Council and the Citrus Council. And we, that works directly with, universities and the government and the regulators to kind of shape, you know, what, what we should be growing for whom. And, you know, I think that, you know, that's, that's been lacking. So we're kind of, we're, we're building the ship as we're sailing, but more, more information just is never a bad thing, <laughs> you know? So I, I do feel like the education is critical and we need some, we need to get, get involved together so we can collectively kind of make the right decisions. Yeah, I think the ship metaphor is really good there. Um, you know, in many ways, we are all on this collective learning curve. And, you know, you have breeders who have been familiar with the plant and growing it for a very long time. And then you have consumers who uh, maybe their state just legalized medical cannabis, and they're trying it out for the first time in their life. And they're, um, you know, the, a similar learning curve is, is ahead of them. Uh, but they, of course, have uh, quite a bit of trial and error to go through in some ways. Um, and I think that, you know, maybe the, the phrase type two isn't, not everybody in the consumer end of things is, is necessarily using that phrase, but that, that one-to-one -one ratio does seem to be something that is starting to spark a lot of interest. Um, and I'm thinking mostly on even newer markets on the East Coast. So you sort of see this, uh, this learning curve unfolding. And, and I guess my next question would be, while that learning curve is unfolding, uh, what are some things that growers and breeders can be doing in the next you know, six to 12 months, maybe, maybe after cannabis conference, after your panel in particular um, with the other speakers, uh, what are some maybe uh, action items, I suppose, that, that could be helpful on the grower and breeder side of this, this catch 22 to maybe nudge things forward, if that makes sense? Um, well, I think that I, mean, I think that the I think that the the breeders have been there for a while because that's what gave us the diversity to begin with. Um, it's really it's it's how you market the product that you have. So if it's just a commodity, if you're just a commodity farmer, you're just going to grow whatever the commodity is, right? 
But if you're a brand, if you have a product that's a brand, and, and cultivars, varieties of cannabis kind of are brands in themselves. I mean, if you look at the success of OG Kush and Sour Diesel and Girl Scout Cookies and Blue Dream, there are their own brands, you know. And if that's what you're doing, then really highlighting what your point of difference is in your brand is critical. And I'm really happy to see things like um, the, uh, the, the Emerald Cup embracing terpene classes. That's really critical because, um, you know, the majority of the, uh, the majority of the cannabis varieties that are out there right now kind of are in one big terpene class and all the other ones are just little small players. But if you don't address them as individuals by saying, hey, I have a high osamine variety, it might only be 1% of the cultivars that are available, but you're setting your point of difference as a grower or as a breeder or as a cultivator um, to say, this is what I provide. I provide something other than just a high myrcene variety, which is what all of my competition is. Um, so I think that's really critical in, in figuring out a strategy for, for connecting the consumer with these different chemotypes. So, you know, the, uh, the terpenes are obvious, you know, that's, that's, that's obvious and, or not obvious, but, you know, you can present a COA that shows like very clearly that I have a high pinene variety and therefore they're somewhat rare. Um, but uh, informing the consumer as to what pinene might do for you is a little bit more challenging, you know, so figuring out a way to shape your brand around the effect that's associated in your product and how that is different from your competitor, a competitor is really critical as opposed to piggybacking on the momentum created by others. So if, and I don't want to, you know, uh, I don't want to cast any shadows on any other varieties, but there are some very popular varieties right now that, um, because of their popularity, cultivators say, okay, well, I'm going to grow this. And then that variety might not become as popular next year. And by the time it took you to ramp up your production to grow that variety, it's no longer in favor, you know? So it's really dangerous when you're chasing, you know, that trend. But if you look at it as, you know, um, your own variety, your own point of difference that, you know, you're, I'm a breeder and I've worked for years and I've got this variety that's, high in pinene and has a, a good amount of, of um, minor cannabinoids and still tests relatively high in THC so that I can bring it to market. And if you can get that to a consumer, they're going to react. They're going to notice that it's different. I mean, we don't all eat the same food because we all have preferences. I mean, you know, even, I mean, go to the market and how many types of mustard are available or how many types of, you know, pasta can you buy? It's not that one is better than the other. It's that everyone has a preference and, but they have to experience that. So you have to figure out on the label of the product or in the name of the product, how to, to focus that to the consumer so that they get there because, you know, they don't have a vote until they try your product. And, Right now, you know, we used to have the bud tenders used to do a lot of work to try and pair the right flower or the right product with the um, with the consumer. 
but there's less and less of that being done. It's more about the marketing and the branding and the label and how well, you know, how well you work your social media account. So, you know, that's, that's really a challenge and it. And it's, it's unfortunate for, for a farmer who doesn't have any passion for marketing and branding to have to think that way, but it is very much the case, you know, that, that if you can develop your brand and instead of just, you know, doing what everyone else is doing and it's, it's harder because you can't just say, Hey, everyone else wants sour diesel. So I'm going to grow sour diesel. But if you have your variety that is yours, then, you know, you might get lucky and people enjoy it because it's different. Um, you know, that being said, I do think that there's a challenge there because I think that we are going to find over time less, fewer varieties in the market because farmers will start making a decision. You know, when the commodity price drops and um, it's not this green gold thing, then the farmer's decision is going to become critical. How well does this plant grow and how well does it yield? Because if you're only getting, you know, if you, if you think of the price of corn or you think of the price of other agricultural commodities, cannabis is heading in that direction. And when it gets there, people are going to only grow the varieties that work well. You know, a, a low yielding, um, a low yielding crop that's in high demand is fine when you're getting, you know, a couple thousand dollars a pound. But if you're only getting a couple hundred dollars a pound, then that yield becomes far more critical. And it's, a, it's susceptibility to um, pests and pathogens becomes critical. So we, we want to keep the diversity, once again, like we want the diversity in the genome, but the diversity in the market is another story. And we've got to be prepared for less diversity to make it easier for consumers to choose the right varieties because... You know, you can't, you go from one dispensary to another and you rarely even see the same varieties or they've been renamed, which is a whole nother story. Um, so it's hard for the consumer to make a choice. So I, I just think that we need, we really need to focus on consumer education. People need to differentiate their brands with unique um, chemotypes and don't lose, you know, you know, don't swallow your own pill, but at the same time, if you have a variety that works really well and your friends and family have told you that it works really well and is different than others, then, then you deserve, the other consumers deserve the right to experience that variety as well. And that's not easy, but I think that's important. That's part of our commitment to, um, to, to uh, society as, as cannabis producers. You know, we we in a, in a big way, you know, other than, other than most other drugs, cannabis is one of those drugs that keep one of those products that people consume often throughout the day and throughout their lives. So we've got to stay committed to making people's lives better, you know, and nobody can decide what does that and what it's going to take. But, um, you know, addressing the diversity in the consumer, I think is, is a big part of it. And, and if, if there's someone who wants to consume cannabis, but doesn't want to get high, well, we've got a variety for them. And if someone wants to get really high and disassociate from their, their life, then there's a variety from them. If someone wants just to tap in and feel a little bit good about their day, well, there's a variety for them. And we can't address all those needs if we stay 
focused on THC content. We'll miss that opportunity. So, you know, that, that's, that's, uh, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I think it, it's just, it is, of course, the, the immediate balancing act between supply and demand is, is sort of in the foreground here and, and is critical for many reasons. Um, but I like that you zoomed out a bit there to uh, quite the, um, you know, the macro view of this plant. And uh, I think that's, um, that's certainly a major part of this conversation as well. And, you know, Mojave, it's always great to, to talk to you and, and get your perspective on, on these sorts of things. And we're really looking forward to having you out at Cannabis Conference again, of course, and, and very glad that, uh, that we'll be out, uh, you know, in person uh, in Vegas this year very soon. Hey, Eric, it's really a pleasure to talk with you, and I'm very much looking forward to the conference. It's been a long, bumpy year for everyone, or a year plus, for everyone on the planet, and we all deserve to get back um, into the community and, um, yeah, get, get back to life. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And that's a wrap on Episode 10 of Beyond the Show. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mojave Richmond. We certainly covered a lot of ground. And of course, he'll be at Cannabis Conference next week in Las Vegas, August 24th to the 26th. You can learn all about it at CannabisConference.com. And if you're tuning in on August 20th when this episode drops, uh, online registration is still open. But just for today, it's going to expire on August 20th. But there will be on-site registration at the Paris in Las Vegas, August 24th to the 26th. So make sure you read up on the schedule and the speakers at CannabisConference.com. And we are going to keep this series running. So stay tuned every Friday morning for future episodes of Beyond the Show.